today I actually want to talk about something pretty serious, which is struggle. And we are in our mega series, the Meet God Almighty series. And this sermon about Jacob has just been playing around in my head for a long time. I was originally going to call it Jacob the Limping Man. And then I changed my mind and decided to call it Jacob the Struggling Man. And then I further elaborated and I thought, you know, what would be a really great title is Jacob, the struggling man, Jesus, the struggling God. Kind of a little bit kind of provocative, maybe. How can God be a struggling God? He's sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent. That means all knowing, all powerful. Anyway, hopefully it'll make some sense to you shortly. But when I think about this passage, this has to be one of the most mystifying, puzzling uh, parts of the Bible, don't you think? This, oh, you know, know what I'm talking about. Genesis 32, when Jacob wrestles with God. You can turn there now if you want. Um, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about struggle. And like I said, this is, this, is a, this is a strange passage in many ways. But it's also a very cool passage. It's a very kind of encouraging passage. The more I've thought about it, the more I've struggled with it, uh, the more it's really spoken to my heart. And I hope it'll speak to your heart as well. Um, Why are you struggling? Notice there's an assumption to that question. I'm assuming that you're all struggling in some way or have struggled or are going to struggle. Is that an unfair assumption? Is anyone here never struggled in their lives? I mean, in Australia, we even have that as a saying, don't we? You say, oh, you're struggling a bit, mate. Struggle Town, I think it was a song. Choir boys. Aussie Battler, you know. We have this idea of struggling that's just in our DNA because we do struggle. We struggle all the time. And the question I want to ask, and then I'll come back to the end of this passage, is, well, why? Why are you struggling? Why is there such a struggle? Whatever it happens to be, why is there such a struggle? And then I want to ask this question, have you ever struggled with God? Maybe it's been spiritual. Maybe something's happened and you've gone, who is this God that I'm supposed to serve? Who is this God that we've just said is love, but then this has happened? Who is this God that we've said is all-powerful, almighty, and yet this stuff happens to me? And have you ever gone head-to-head with God? Like, have you ever felt his big sovereign biceps grip you in a wrestling match? On the side of a river called the Jabok, in the dark, has anyone ever had that happen to them? Of course not. But Jacob has. In today's story, and you can turn there now, I'm going to be in Genesis 32, we meet a guy called Jacob who meets God Almighty on the side of a riverbank. And you know what? If I was writing the Bible, I would probably not have put this story in there because it is quite perplexing and quite troubling at times to think of the sovereign, omnipotent God who would wrestle, struggle, grapple, enter into hand-to-hand combat with this guy called Jacob. It's, It's a bit strange, don't you think? But today, in the Bible, it's there. You can't get around it. It's a well-known story. It's been there for thousands of years. It's been there ever since the Bible was written. That particular story is probably at least 3,000 years old. It's right there in the Bible. So, you know, we've got these kind of questions in our mind, I guess, about this struggle with God. And then it gets even more perplexing because there's this struggle with God Almighty and it's a draw. And in fact, you could even argue that when God talks about, you know, you have overcome, you have overcome God and men, and we'll talk about that in a minute, you could almost argue that he's beaten. 
Like what, what in the world or what in heaven is going on? So today we're talking about Jacob, the struggling man. We're talking about the God struggler. You know, we know Jacob was already the quintessential struggler. You remember Ben's sermon last week? What was special about Jacob in utero as he comes out with his twin brother leading the way? What was he doing? He had a hold of his heel. He was already struggling. He was already struggling. And that's how he got his name. His name literally means the holder of the heel. Now, later on, people have taken that to mean supplanter or, you know, deceiver or trickster. But at its core, there's this idea of struggle, struggle, struggle. And he wasn't afraid to struggle and struggle hard to get what he wanted. We know that he tricked and manipulated and lied and deceived in order to get what he wanted with the help of his mum. We won't go over that story, but you can read it. It's all in the Bible in the previous chapters. Like we saw from the sermon last week with Ben, which you can have a listen to online. He struggled with his older brother. He tricked him. He tricked his father into getting the inheritance, the blessing. Then we see him struggling across a wilderness, trying to get away from his brother who now wants to kill him. Then he meets his future wife. She's beautiful. She loves, uh, he loves her almost instantly. He thinks, wow, she's pretty good. She goes and talks to uh, his fa- uh, her father, a guy called Laban. Laban says, yeah, sure, you can marry her. Work for me for seven years. Now, the Bible just brushes over that. It's just like seven years. Boom, boom. But can you imagine seven years shepherding in the wilderness, the cold, the heat? You know, sometimes he would have had the flu. You know, he would have had a snotty nose. He would have had dust in his eyes. No, no codril, you know, cold and flu tablets. He would have been lying on the hard deck. And it says in the Bible, you know, the seven years were as almost nothing to him. But that would have been a struggle. And then he ends up with the wrong woman. <laughs> So Laban says, work another seven years, 14 years. This guy knows what it is to struggle. So he works. God blesses him regardless. He ends up with all this stuff and then it's time to head out. And again, a struggle because Laban doesn't want him to go. You can read more about this yourselves. Maybe read about it this week. Again, he struggles. He has to leave. He has to get away. Laban chases him and there's a whole story behind that. And finally, in our story today, he's about to literally come back into the promised land. He's been out of the promised land. And if you'll notice, I don't know if you realize this, but the people of God enter and re-enter the the, the promised land so many times in Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them. And same again here. And now he's literally about to enter back into the promised land. And there's a great struggle going on already because he's about to meet Esau. And he's thinking Esau has had 14, 20, a lot of years to get really bitter about what happened. And Jacob hasn't seen him for decades. And Jacob is thinking, I may be in a lot of trouble, or my family here may be in a lot of trouble, because this guy was murderous when I left. And we can see in Genesis 32 in verse 6 and 7 that we're told there that when Jacob heard that his brother Esau was coming that Esau was coming with 400 men and then it says that Jacob was in great fear and distress we would say he's struggling he's struggling and this great fear and distress it's it's interesting because the Hebrew word actually means to to bind up to be tied up to be distressed to be troubled it's like you've got these bonds around you and they're pulling tighter and tighter I remember when I've been stressful uh, stressed at work we used to have a bit of a joke in one of my previous companies we go oh, I'm getting that tight feeling in my chest again 
you know, when we were starting to struggle, when something was happening, it was, became a bit of a joke, oh, don't, I'm getting that tight feeling in my chest. Um, maybe we shouldn't joke about that, I am in the heart attack bracket. But uh, that's, that, that was showing that this struggle wasn't just physical, it was spiritual. And I mean, imagine you've got your whole family and 400 people, 400 men are coming for you. You would be greatly distressed, you would be struggling. But in verse 9, this is what Jacob does. Um, he splits, sorry, in verse 7 and 8, he splits the families into different groups, parts of his family into different groups, because he figures, well, um, they might take out one half, but at least they'll have the other half. And then he prays. This is what he prays. And I want you to hold this prayer in your mind and think about how it's answered. It's a strange answer. In verse 9, Jacob prays, O God of my father, father Abraham, God of my father, Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Go back to your country, into your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I only had my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted." Save me, I pray. Have you ever prayed that? Have you ever prayed that to God to save you out of your struggle? He's about to get a very strange answer. So that night, Jacob is left alone. He sends the two groups across the river Jabbok. And the darkness comes in. He's on the bank of the river there. He's split the two parties and he's left alone. He's left alone with his distress, his fear. I mean, imagine that scene. Right on the borders of the promised land, here's this man, Jacob, struggled all these years. And in the darkness, a figure emerges. I almost get like, I get tingles thinking about it. In the darkness, you can't see a man's face. You can only see his outline. You don't know what his intent is. You don't know whether he's there to kill you, to steal from you. It's just an an ominous figure emerging out of the darkness. And so as this man emerges out of the darkness, again, the Bible is just very succinct. All it says there in verse 24 is that a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And what, what on earth? Like, think about it. He's on the side of the river. The man emerges. Ah. They look at each other or just stand off for a minute, and then next thing, bang, they're into it. They're struggling, they're grappling. It's it's hand-to-hand combat. Now, has anyone been in a fight before? It's exhausting, isn't it? (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't be admitting this as a pastor. You should be. How come the only two people that are pastoring in this church put their hands up? You quickly discover if someone has like a malicious intent for you, that it's, it's really tiring. Like within a few, you know, your adrenaline's up, all your, body, all your body systems go into defensive mode and you, you get tired very quickly. So the way I think about what's happening here is that they're going at it, they're grappling, then they're kind of just circling each other, just like warily, and then they're, boom, they're into it again. And it's going on all night. You know, maybe Jacob initially thinks it'll be over quickly. Um, you know, one, you, you think about it, he's, he's had all this fear and distress about Esau. Now, where's his horizon? His horizon is just this unknown assailant. He just wants to get through that. 
Maybe it's sometimes, you know, Jacob's in a headlock. Maybe he's thrown to the ground. Maybe he gets up, he throws the man to the ground. They just go back and forth all night. Lunging, circling, dodging. Thrown to the ground, then up again, down again. This is a real struggle. But what does it mean to struggle? You know, we say struggle, we have these words, we have these concepts. But what does it mean? Well, whenever I hear that question, what does it mean? I go to the dictionary and so I pull some stuff out of the Oxford and Chambers and let's see if this suits Jacob's predicament. These are just six or seven statements from the dictionary about struggling. To strive vigorously in resistance or contention or coping with difficulties. Tick for Jacob, right? To make great efforts or exertions. Anyone disagree with that one? Tick. To contend strenuously, to make one's way with difficulty, to move convulsively. You know, like it's, it's difficult to move. Someone's trying to stop you. Someone or something is oppressing you. To struggle means pain. It means suffering, doesn't it? Nobody wants to struggle. We will struggle to get to rest, which is an interesting paradox, but nobody wants to have that as their end state. Nobody wants to continue to be struggling. And it isn't just physical struggles, is it? All night, relentlessly, teeth gritting, jaw clenching, biceps straining, Jacob struggles with weariness. He struggles with fear and distress. He would struggle with uh, hopelessness. Like it's like my families are across there. Esau with his 400 men are coming and I've got this assailant and I don't know what's going to happen to me. So struggle, we know, is physical, spiritual and mental. It's suffering that is physical, spiritual and mental. Jacob, the man, struggles with God, the man, all night, relentlessly, teeth gritting, jaw clenching, bicep straining. Jacob struggles with God. And you say, where do you get that from, Adrian? Well, if you look at verse 30, Jacob later on, he calls the place Peniel. And that means, as it says there, I saw God face to face and my life was spared. What on, what on earth? What on earth is going on there? And then, Surprisingly, like I said before, it appears that God is overpowered or, 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 or Jacob overcomes, we're told Jacob overcomes God and men. It's like, it's almost, at, at the very least, we can safely say it's a draw <laughs> until a certain point in the story, which I'm sure you're familiar with. But, but in that moment, like, it, it's, it's, it's a draw. So the man who Jacob later calls God In verse 25 there, it says, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, when God saw that he could not overpower him, I mean, just ponder that for a moment. What what is going on? I mean, kids, are you uncomfortable with that? Like last, actually, where is my little, oh, no, I'll get to it in a minute. You know, the God of the universe, who is thermonuclear, who who puts stars in a place. Sorry, I had to get it out at least once in 2018. (laughs) You know, now, now he's... He's sweating and wrestling on the side of the river Jabok. I don't know, maybe you're struggling. Are you struggling (laughs) with this? So here's a roundup, okay? Here's where we're at. Jacob's about to enter the promised land or re-enter it. He's worried about his brother Esau. He's in fear and distress. He prays, he asks God for deliverance. And then next minute, 
next minute, God shows up and enters into combat with him. Is that not a strange prayer answer? And, you, and you've complained in the past because God hasn't answered your prayers. <laughs> he probably has, you just didn't know it. But if he'd answered this way, you would be mystified, you'd be stunned, you'd be like, what? God shows up, grapples, wrestles, physically fights with Jacob. Now, as you can imagine, over thousands of years, theologians have grappled, thought through this, tried to come up with answers. And it's such an interesting hermeneutical exercise and exercise in how the Bible's interpreted because depending on your background, you will, you'll tend to interpret this in certain ways. And you can go and read about them yourself. I'm just telling you what I guess I've seen in the, in the text and I'm not saying it's better or worse. But again, I just wanted to bring us back to this idea. What does struggle do? What does it do? What happens when you're struggling? We've already said it, haven't we? If you are struggling, you are wearied. You are in pain. You are striving vigorously. You are coping with difficulties. You are having to make great efforts. You are contending strenuously. You are making your way with difficulty. You are moving convulsively. You are in pain. If you've entered into struggle, you are experiencing all these things. Now, just hold that for me as we get into the next part of the story. And we see there in verse 25, and before I actually cover that, you might actually be tempted to think that this isn't God. Maybe it's just an angel. It certainly talks about, I think in Hosea, that this was an angel. But God has taken the form of an angel in that sense, or he's taken the form of a figure of a man. Angel in the Bible just means messenger. So... He's taken the form of a man, a messenger, a divine man, but still a man. Now, we know, or we should know, that it's God because of what Jacob himself has said, and he's the eyewitness. But we also know because of this next bit, verse 25. When the man saw, when God saw that he was not going to overpower him, he touched, so he just touched. It wasn't a ninja move. Okay? It wasn't... Mortal hand-to-hand combat kind of weird move, kick-butt move. It was just touch. And the whole hip comes. The whole hip is dislocated. Now, the thing about a hip is it is the strongest joint in your body. It's one of the most excruciating things that can happen to you. I saw this a bit when I was flying a lot with Care Flight. um, Because the amount of force that's required to dislocate your hip is often found in a head-on. Head-on at car accident. Uh, steering wheel can come down, hit, bang, out comes the hip. Very, very painful. So this wasn't just you know, a minor injury. This was a significant injury. And with that touch, it is like a head-on car collision has just hit that hip. And it's just a touch. It's just a touch from God and bang. The whole, now, what happens in a hip dislocation is once it's out, your whole leg is pretty much rendered useless. It'll kind of look like this. Now, when it says that Jacob was later limping, it was more like a hobble, okay? It's not, it's not like kind of my, my limp you might see from my footy injuries where I just, am I limping now? You know, but I'm still pretty mobile. No, no, no. This was like, this was like a, a very painful, excruciating hobble. And we are told that he had that for the rest of his life. No wonder later on, when he's meeting with Pharaoh, another story you can read in the Bible, he says, the years of my pilgrimage have been few and difficult. The years of my pilgrimage have been 
a struggle. <laughs> a struggle. So we know that <laughs> something supernatural has happened if that hip has come out like that. We know it's God. It's just bang. Just with a touch. So, it's, it's, so you've got this paradox because you've got this effortless win by God and yet all night you've got this effortful wrestling. It's, it's a paradox. And I don't know if you saw the eclipse the other night, but one of the reasons you find it so strange is, you know, we as Christians, we go out and look at the moon and we realise the, the cosmological coincidence, you know, the moon is proportionately, uh, the proportions are precise so that when they line up with the sun, you know, the, the size of the moon, reference the size of the sun, reference the size of the earth, the distance from the moon uh, to the earth to the sun, they're all proportionate. It's very precise so that you get an eclipse. And astronomers call that the cosmological coincidence because it's so precise, it's unbelievable. Uh, and we look at that, we go, well, God made the moon, God made, I don't know how, you know, thermonuclear power made the moon, made the, and we look up at it with wonder, we feel it in our hearts. And then you're reading your Bible and you're expecting to see the God who made the sun and the moon and the stars, and you do, but then you get to this. That's why it's strange. But I really encourage you with the strange parts of the Bible, not just to skim over them or read your commentaries, but actually just really grapple because they're there for a reason. Anyway, getting back to the story. Remember the prayer? God of my father, Abraham. God of my father, Isaac. Save me. Save me. And then all night combat, followed by an excruciating hip dislocation. Now he's got another struggle. That is not what he prayed for. He didn't pray for another struggle. You know, your prayers, your struggles, have you, have you got unexpected answers? Well, welcome to Jacob Town. Welcome to Struggle Town. People think Christianity is all about the crutch. You know, you've got to have a crutch. Is that for Jacob? He would go, absolutely. <laughs> it is about a crutch because God like, dislocated my hip. Now I've got to walk like this for the rest of my life. But maybe this is enough to push you over the edge into faithlessness, into atheism, into bigger, bitter anger, futility, hopelessness. But instead, you see what happens in the next verse? I will not let you go. Now, you've got to understand with that injury, if that's just happened, if, if God has touched him, all Jacob can do to stop from going down is actually <laughs> is hold on. That's all, like, so this isn't just a spiritual nice thing to say, I'm going to hold on to you, give me a blessing. It's literally physically, hold on, because his hip's just gone. So now you've got this picture in the darkness of one man whose hip's come out, and this weird kind of contortion thing going on, and, and, and him holding on to this other figure. So when the rest of the dialogue happens here, it's not two of them sitting there contemplatively looking out over the river and the sun coming up. It's Jacob, I will not let you go. In verse 26, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go. Now, with everything that I've said, would you hold on? Would you hold on to this person in the middle of the night? You might pass out, absolutely. But in your own prayers, in your own struggles, would you be willing to hold on? Would you be willing to hold on to the God who just caused you pain? This is what this passage is saying. You can't get around it. 
in your prayers, in your struggles, would you be willing to hold on to the God? We sing, uh, the God who's caused you pain. We sing Hosanna, Hosanna. And we're all relatively feeling okay this morning. But what if, you know, your beloved was taken? What if your house was taken? Some of you, you know, are facing critical medical uh, sort of situations, all that kind of, you know, before, will you hold on to this God who sometimes causes pain, who will wrestle and struggle with you? Now, before you say, no way, or I don't want to think about it, uh, or God can get stuffed, you, you need to know something. And again, I, I just want to re- re- reiterate, if you're struggling, you're wearied, you're striving vigorously, you're coping with difficulties, you're making great efforts or exertions, you're contending strenuously, you're making your way with difficulty, you're moving convulsively, you're in pain. Now, Becky, she didn't know this was going to happen. I want you to consider for a moment, come out, Becky. Uh, I'm just going, just going with it, just go with me. Could, it could turn pretty bad, but anyway. <laughs> so we, we think about our struggle. Now, if mysteriously somebody chooses to enter into struggle with us, we're going to have a, think through that question. If, if mysteriously someone chooses to enter into struggle with us, for whatever reason, and so this person, stand here, Becky. Becky likes to wrestle with me and, you know, sometimes I'm tired and she's like, she just wants to try and get me in a, I don't know, headlock. She never really succeeds. <laughs> you do not. Now, so for a moment, consider, and this person who chooses to enter into struggle, like, so that's, that's me. All right, Becky. Now, behind you, later on, we're going to have communion. Now, I just want you to see this table for what it is. It's a table where redemption is offered. It's a table where new life is offered. It's a table where forgiveness of sins is offered. It's a table of remembrance to the glorious Lord Jesus. It's your life-giving table. That's where you're going to get life. Over there, morning tea, behind the, 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 the shutters. Who made morning tea this morning? What are we having? Yep, delectable things. Let's pretend they're lovely. That, well, they are. we don't have to pretend. <laughs> this is where I start digging. They are lovely. They are tasty. They look good. Okay? And you want those, Becky. That boring old table there. You want those. And maybe they're, maybe it's the house. Maybe it's the relationship. Maybe it's the car. Maybe it's the success that the world offers. It's behind there. It's lovely. Now, I have advanced weaponry. I have massive biceps. This one's shock. This one's awe. <laughs> I could take you out before you even saw me coming. But I'm also all-powerful uh, and all-loving. And I don't want to turn you into a robot. I don't want to turn you into an automaton. I could. I've got drugs to do that. Um, I don't really. Go with me. But you know what I'm saying? So, so if I, for my own mysterious reasons, cho- choose, let's enter into struggle now. You're running away from that table. You're running this way. And I now enter into a struggle. I don't take you out from a distance. I enter into struggle. Let's struggle. Try and get past me. <laughs> and then we go like this all night. <laughs> and then eventually, I touch your hip. No. <laughs> Um, okay, you can sit down. Now, just in that few brief moments, my shoulder, my, I should admit this, my, 
my or um, bicep is hurting a little bit. I, if I've entered into struggle with you, I have entered into striving vigorously, weariness, coping with difficulties, effort, strenuous kind of contention. I've entered into pain. I've entered into pain. If God has entered into struggle with you, and he doesn't have to, it just end all this. If he is truly a loving father, can you imagine the pain that he feels from day to day to see his children, to see his creation so dysfunctional, so battered and beaten? So, oh. But if God has stooped to struggle to enter into 3D reality with a 3D body, with arms and legs that can wrestle, and he subjected himself to three-dimensional laws and principles, to 3D Three-dimensional sweat and grime and the grit, the jaw-clenching fatigue, is not God also in pain in some way? And maybe you're uncomfortable with that. Maybe you don't like hearing of the sovereign God of the universe in pain. Well, it's right here in the Bible. (laughs) It's right here in the Bible. You need to get to know God better, and that's what this mega-series is about. It should make us uncomfortable because it attacks our stereotypes. It attacks our pre-understanding. It deliberately subverts what we think we know of God. Now, this in no way makes him less sovereign, less powerful. In fact, in many ways, it makes him more powerful. It's easy to be a God who just sits off at a distance and takes you out. Or you're trying to get to him, you know. I could have flipped that around going, oh, This is what other religions do. Becky, don't come up. Becky, you're fighting to get to me. You're fighting to get to this table of life. Prove yourself to me. That's not the biblical story. The biblical story is we're running. We're chasing after other things. We're hungry for other things. There are things that are just sinking. They're like they're Titanic. You might as well be chasing the Titanic. And God then enters into the struggle and struggles with us to bring us back because he would much rather crash tackle you as you run for that thing that you're after because it can't last. It's just going to wear out. It's just going to oxidize and rust, whatever it happens to be. So he crash tackles you. We should be uncomfortable, but at the same time, we should be encouraged. And as this story kind of comes to an end, in verse 28, the man says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Now, this is the first time that Israel is mentioned in the Bible. And it actually has two meanings. One is he struggles with God. And the other meaning, which can easily be rendered that way in the Hebrew, is God struggles. God struggles. Now, a lot of times it's sort of pushed to the side in your commentaries. It's like an alternate meaning. I don't think so. I think it is an integral part of why God calls him Israel. Because, yes, he has struggled, but I have struggled with you and I will continue to enter into your struggle. And there's an interesting wordplay in the Hebrew here. It's God through the story. So it's God struggles in Hebrew is Yahabak with Jacob, Yahakob, by the Jabok, Yabok. So the, art, the, the writer has like done a wordplay. So it'd be like, you, Joe Struggler, have struggled with God here in Struggle Town. That is the name. Sorry, that is the, uh, the, the, the theme of the story. And it reminds me of this verse from the Psalms. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Saviour, who daily bears our burdens. 
Have you ever thought about that psalm? To bear a burden, to struggle. God who struggles. Like I said, maybe we need to get to know God a little bit better. I mean, think about these words. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. What is Jesus doing there? Struggling. If you're uncomfortable with that wrestling episode where he enters into our struggle, you should be very uncomfortable with this. Going a little, far, going a little further, he prays, Abba, Father. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. The Son of God struggling, deeply distressed. You see, God has entered into the struggle. This doesn't answer all your thing. And I know your struggles are real. Please don't think I'm making light of them. But God has, and, and God doesn't necessarily give you that, that direct answer. Why is this happening to me? But, but the answer is God has entered into struggle. God has entered into pain himself. So he must have some sort of divine purpose behind it all. Because if he has been willing to put up with a cross-filled face full of weariness, a cross-filled face full of vigorous resistance, of wounds, of stabbing, of spitting, of all those things. Who is this God? No wonder, even with a dislocated hip, and Jacob didn't have all this revelation that you've got, he just holds on because deep down he knows there's something about this God, even though he just dislocated my hip, and then you see him hobbling away. There's almost like a victorious kind of thing to it. It's, it's weird. It's paradoxical. He knows there's something about this God I must hold on. And, you know, let's not forget the big picture. He's not saying to you that you will struggle forever. He is saying, though, like in Hebrews, make every effort to enter the rest. Make every effort to enter the rest. Isn't that a paradox as well? Make every effort. Doesn't it make sense now? God will struggle with you if you are on your own, on your own trajectory, chasing after things that are just going to rot and then make you rot in the long term. He wants you to have this life-giving meal and he will enter into the struggle. He will wrestle with you. He will bring you down via a crash tackle if he needs to. But he doesn't do it in a divine bullying kind of way. He gets in amongst it. And there may be struggle for a while. But if we would hold on, if we all go, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Even if it means that we will have to hobble with a limp for the rest of our lives because God saved us from foolish things. Then, wow, we are all messed up, but greatly blessed. All messed up, but greatly blessed. You have struggled with God and have overcome. Now, this phrase has haunted me this week as we prepare for communion. I keep seeing Jesus on the cross. I keep seeing him stricken for our afflictions. I keep seeing him bleeding out. I keep seeing him you know, calling for a, for a drink of water. And you know, he can rightly look at the soldier with the spear or the soldier with the whip or the soldier with the hammer, or the Jewish high priests, uh, the Roman authorities, all the worlds involved, he can rightly say to them, you've struggled with God and you've overcome. You've struggled with God and you've overcome. Think about it. You've struggled with God and you've overcome. You've overcome me and now because you have killed me, crucified me, put me to death, 
now you can live. Because now the divine wrath of my father has been turned away. Every last drag in that cup of suffering and struggle that was destined for us because of who we are, Jesus drank it to the bottom. You have struggled with God and you've overcome. And that's why this cross, in a strange way, becomes this symbol of victory, suffering and struggle subverted from the inside out. God, who goes to the cross on our behalf, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who emerges from the tomb three days later, who now intercedes for us, who now daily bears our burdens. You know, as I think about Jesus, you remember his famous words, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. How can a God allow himself to do that? What kind of God allows himself to be crucified? That's why I love him. That's why in a mysterious way I'll follow him to the rest of, to the rest of my days. Who is this God? I just encourage you, like as we get further into this mega series, just keep going, who are you? Who are you? I want to know you better. Why are you struggling as we go through our Selah? Why, you know, just pause, think deeply. That's what Selah means. Why are you struggling? You know, look deep into your heart. Sometimes it's for things that don't last and God has had to crash tackle you. Only you know that. You take that to God. The real question though is why would God struggle? Why would God enter into that struggle? Why didn't he just end it all in Eden? I don't know. But I know what Tim said, God is love. So we expect that from a God who is all-powerful and who is also love. Which means here's the final message. Don't let go. Don't let go. Don't let go, my brothers and sisters. You see what he's done? He's entered into the struggle to make you a brother, to make you a sister, to make you a friend. Don't let go. I wanted to play that song because... It kind of talks about the struggle coming to an end and him being completely worn out. And then all he can do is just hold on. And I kind of think that's a bit of an answer to some of the mystery around this passage is that God wears us out in our own efforts to chase after the delectable delights that aren't delights. And in that moment, when we are softened and humbled, we hear and we change. But again, it's only because of his love for us. Let's drink to that love.